स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन हेलो एंड वेलकम यू आर लिसनिंग टू द स्केच आई एम योर होस्ट श्रुतिजित आई एम ए डेली बेस्ड जर्नलिस्ट एंड द एडिटर इन चीफ ऑफ मिंट माई गेस्ट टूडे ऑपरेट्स इन वन ऑफ द मोस्ट एक्साइटिंग सेगमेंट्स इन इंडिया डिजिटल इकोनॉमी मोबाइल गेमिंग इज अ ट्रेन इकोनॉमिस्ट हु हैज फिगर्ड आउट अ स्वीट स्पॉट एट द इंटरसेक्शन ऑफ साइंस एंड एंटरटेनमेंट टू बिल्ड वन ऑफ इंडियाज बिगेस्ट मोबाइल गेम्स कंपनीज त्रिविक्रम एंड थम्पी और विक्रम एस इज कॉल्ड फाउंडेड गेम्स ट्वेंटी फोर सेवन बैक इन टू थाउजेंड they both now serve as co-ceos and co-founders during this time the company ended up pioneering what are called real money gaming where winners make actual money it has become a huge segment in the last few years games 247 itself was last valued at 2.5 billion dollars earlier this year along with the success of real money games a lot of regulatory concerns have also arisen are such games addictive are they thinly disguised gambling and is there societal harm being done by such games different jurisdictions and judicial forums uh, and regulators have taken differing views on these questions and a nationwide debate is currently underway around games of skills versus games of chance how to tax winnings from such games and so on and so forth I look forward to chatting with Vikram today about his journey from a university dorm room to building a unicorn, the future of mobile games, the evolution of real money gaming and which behavioral economics principles have helped him build Games 24/7. Vikram, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the sketch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Firstly, uh, let's talk about your journey. Uh, you have a very strong academic background. You're um, you're an IIT trained engineer and a PhD in economics um how did you instead of going into uh, you know more lucrative perhaps worlds of uh, banking or consulting and so on how did you end up founding a gaming company yeah i don't think uh, i don't think i could have predicted my my trajectory when i was back in iit i had a pretty uh when i got into iit i think i had a what what would be more common at that time in terms of hey what do i want to do and i was like eh, you know either i'll do an mba um administrative services were on my mind uh but as as luck would have it like that's that's not where i ended up i mean i think my journey with gaming started in it itself and it's interesting that today we run rummy you know which is probably the most popular card game in india and at that time it started with me playing a lot of bridge mm-hmm. um you know also a game of skill mm-hmm. um very intellectual um was a lot of fun i in fact represented iit at the nationals was the bridge secretary oh. in iit bombay um so my interest in, in gaming goes you know in games i would say you know at that time that there were no mobile phones uh, there wasn't much of internet either so which year are we talking about this is uh 96 97 um so almost 25 years ago wow yeah yeah okay then what happened then you went overseas to study economics yeah i mean that's you know that but firstly why economics um 
it's also a long story i'll try to give you a shorter version of sure, it and sure. i think i went into engineering you know like a lot of other folks uh, i really enjoyed math and physics when i was you know when i was in high school and uh, it seemed like if you like math and physics you go into engineering so that's what i did and i went in and i realized uh, it's not something i really enjoy um and i started looking for other things to do uh-huh. and i will never forget this but uh, so you know in every hostel you have a lounge uh-huh. and in the lounge there are newspapers and magazines right. um and then there are white newspapers and there are yellow newspapers that's right so pink we we call them pink pink newspapers. pink newspapers yes and i was very intrigued by the people who used to read the pink newspapers <laughs> like, what the heck is that right you know and like that's where my journey started i picked it up and uh, read about uh, the reserve bank of india raising right. interest rates and and i was like what is all of this stuff so in your education till then you had no exposure uh, no serious exposure to economics i did i did have an economics course in iit but i didn't do well in it and i didn't really even enjoy it so right. Right. you're saying that you had exposure to uh, very very little right. i mean in fact the point i was trying to make is that if anything that probably turned me off economics right you know right. and right. like right. it wasn't something that got me interested in economics right. Right. it was like read a textbook answer questions you know right. uh, and then i then we got into policy like i like all this policy stuff you know interest rates exchange rates and employment uh, inflation but at this point you're still just reading the pink papers and understanding what's going on yeah. around you okay and and then did you start reading uh, economics textbooks or not for a while no i just kind of stuck with uh, a lot of policy related stuff i really enjoyed it and that's why i got into economics um and then eventually interestingly enough that's why i ended up getting out of economics because at some point I realized that you know the bridge between the academic economics world and the real yeah. economics world was a bridge too far for me. Uh, uh, uh. Um you know so I think when I was in engineering I kind of you know realized this is not something I want to do I was looking for something else got into economics unlike engineering economics I still love as a subject but at some point I realized like this is not what i want to be doing at least not academic economics and that's when i got into gaming now that's that's stayed steady for um what is it now more than 15 years right right what i'm interested in understanding is did you get really into gaming and then you decide look let let me because of your interest in gaming you started a gaming company or it was both i know right. you're, what you're coming to it was both so, i mean first it was just me finding bhavan playing games in the computer lab and I was like finally you know like somebody's doing what i do in the computer lab <laughs> and uh and so we started talking we used to play different kinds of games bhavan you know was playing pool and solitaire and you know those classic games and i used to mostly play poker uh, you stuck to card games i did yeah i really I did and i and i actually played a lot of rummy when i was younger interestingly with my with my grandmother i used to play a lot of rummy i see I so see. yes i mean i did i did stick to card games all along and i started playing poker and then at some point i did the math you know i used to play on this very small poker site and i i knew like okay this is the pot that's created in every game what percentage of the pot are they taking 
and so i did the math i could see how many tables were on at any point of time how many players are playing what the stakes look like i did some estimation for what kind of overall traffic they might have based on this and was like <laughs> you wow, realize they might these guys are making money, a ton right? of money like right. you know if there was like one pivotal moment that was it which side was it versus poker stars it was uh, so you must have seen bet 365 yes. ads here so bet 365 while it's known for sports betting yeah. in the uk mm-hmm. they also have uh they also at least at that time had like a poker product and the interesting thing was that i realized as i did some more research that bet 365 poker was one of the smallest poker businesses nice. um and so then i started looking more into it um found out that party gaming which was you know probably still is today but at least then was the largest online real money gaming business went public uh they were valued at about 10 billion you know this is back in 2004 2005 mm-hmm. they went public in the us in the uk in the uk right yeah and so uk seems to be a much bigger betting market than the us isn't it uh for now right. yes but, but i it's, think it's changing it's changing very very rapidly okay um i think the us both from a legal slash regulatory perspective and a social acceptance perspective is also moving very rapidly it's very interesting the parallels between us and india right now right. in us what kicked off uh the entire online gaming business in the us most recently mm-hmm. was also a supreme court ruling uh, popularly known as paspa and uh and that in turn has prompted states to come out and start regulating uh and it's a market that's growing very very rapidly and i think even in india what's happened is that the recent high court rulings mm-hmm. which established basically constitutional protection for games of skill mm-hmm. have certainly given a lot more clarity to to everybody right but you guys were clear from day one that you want to start a gaming business that's focused on india and so absolutely i mean we understood the indian market he didn't grow up in india i did but he had deep indian roots like i did you know and uh, so we really understood the indian market i mean we had been in the us for a few years so our inspiration came from the west but our passion was for india right Right, right. And at that point the field was also relatively clear, right? Back in 2006, who were the other players in online gaming here? Uh, there was uh there was Zapac by Zapac, Reliance. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I think that was a time when um people were also trying to experiment with um real uh, like physical cafes that was fitted there. with these was, like yeah. Again, Zapac was the company that that tried to do that physical cafes yes, and Yes. Um, I remember playing in one of those, and I think right. in, Delhi, in South Ex in Delhi they used to have, That's you know, right. one such That's cafe. Right. Yeah, it was all very exciting. Yes, no, it was. It was. It was. It was a very exciting time, but it wasn't really a great precursor to what was to come. Right. I mean, nobody knew what was going to happen. Absolutely. With mobile, correct. That just completely transformed the space. Right. right. You know, and India just kind of leapfrogged from. We had what twenty million internet users in twenty thirteen. and then by 2015 by the end of 2015 we were at 100 million all driven by smartphones you know right so so when you started the company in 2006 you said hey look like gaming is at a nascency here but 
because of your vantage in the US, you could tell that gaming can be big and it'll probably head in that direction. Um, so you thought you will set up what kind of a gaming company? Like which were your early focus areas? I mean, I think we were very clear from the beginning that, you know, our view was that the gaming at the end of the day is entertainment, yes. right? I mean, as a gaming business, we compete with all other forms of entertainment. Netflix, movies, movies. Um, you know, streaming stuff, cricket. Right. You know, like I can tell you when cricket's on, like You're people don't play that much games, like they're watching cricket, you know. So yeah. that's, it's it's part of entertainment. And, and we didn't have any data to back this other than our own personal experiences. Right. But we just didn't see India evolving into a market where people would shell out a lot of, you know, money for entertainment. Um, and that's still a challenge today. You know, it, it really is. If you look at the free-to-play games market, mm -hmm. which is games that you get on the Google Play Store or the App Store, the monetization in India is, you know, substantially lower than it's in the U.S., even after controlling for purchasing power parity and all of that. Um, and so it was very clear to us from the beginning that whatever gaming entertainment we're going to offer, like, there has to be some... Free something stuff. coming out of that for people beyond just entertainment uh, in terms of winnings or rewards like what's in it for me right you know i'm going to spend time here you know yes i'm going to get entertained but i'm not going to shell like 100 rupees out just to be entertained this yeah. is not unless i'm taking you to a theater and showing you a movie which is not what i can do on a desktop or on a phone yeah. and so it was very clear to us that it has to be something where there's something in for the player Something to spice things up uh -huh, uh -huh. beyond pure entertainment. Uh -huh. And so that's how we got into the whole idea of games of skill. Uh -huh. You know, so in India, there's there's a clear legal distinction between games of skill and games of chance. Uh -huh. You know, and it is legal to play games of skill for real money. So the question was, what are games of skill? And, right. you know, that's where I go back to that Supreme Court ruling. Yeah. Rami being a game of skill. Yeah. Um, Rami being super popular. And so it was. It was a it was actually a very easy choice. Let's get into this a little bit more. Um, to me, it always seems like obviously there is an element of both in most games, mm -hmm. right? Except for, I mean, there are a few games that are purely games of chance, like pinball or you know the the slot machines or that kind of stuff, right? Um, what is the view around the world? I mean, is most of the discomfort around gambling and addiction and so on, are those around the pure games of chance? Or even if it is a game of some skill, but there is a strong element of chance, um, is there reason to be concerned about addiction and, you know, gambling sort of behavior and so on? You know, I think any form of entertainment, in fact, anything in the world can be overdone. Right. right. I mean, so I think that is always a concern. And when people are playing for money, whether it's games of skill or games of chance, whether they're games of 90% skill or 80% skill or, you know, 90% chance, I think that's a legitimate concern. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, us as operators and more, more largely us as an industry, we acknowledge that. And I think we as operators and as industry are doing a lot and I think we, we should be doing more and there's more we can do. You know, I don't think anybody in the industry would say that, hey, that's not something we need to worry about. It's not an issue, you know, like nobody nobody has any problems of overuse when it comes to games of skill. Like, I don't think anybody in the industry would say that. 
but different societies take different views to this problem, right? Like, I think the United States has a very laissez-faire uh, kind of approach to it, at least some states where they're like, I mean, you can't be uh, the my bab sarkar. Like, people are going to find ways, some of which uh, will harm them, and that's fine. Um, the UK, which in many other respects is a paternalistic state, but when it comes to gambling, uh, culturally they seem to be very uh, open to it. Sports betting is very big there. I think in India is indeed a much more paternalistic uh, attitude from the state where like, okay, any harm, like we need to protect humans from any harm they might cause themselves, whether it's drinking or gambling or, you know. Um, so is it more difficult uh, to operate in a cultural ecosystem of that nature? It's It's definitely more difficult, but I think... What everybody is beginning to realize, and as we speak even to the government, mm-hmm. that in the internet space, building in those kind of protections is extraordinarily impossible. hard, if not impossible. Right. You know, I mean, it is very, very hard for governments to stop players, consumers from being exposed to foreign operators. You know, it's very hard. This is not bricks and mortar. Yes, if there's alcohol, like I need to have a physical, it's a physical good that I need to sell. I need a physical space to sell it or to store it at least. A physical casino, you can say, will not be in my... my Exactly, but it's very hard. And it is happening as we speak. You know, there's significant number of foreign operators that are taking business in India right now. You must have seen a ton of ads on television, billboards, you name it. Absolutely. Uh, You know, and I think the government realizes that it's not possible to stop that. It is the single biggest reason, in my view, why UK and now eventually the US are moving on to regulate because they realize that the best thing for customers is to have domestic operators that are following that are following guidelines rules putting consumer protection you know tools in place Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the government gets tax revenues and the country gets employment employment generation right you know right would you say like crypto where uh india's view has been that there needs to be international cooperation uh, for regulation and that's the only way it'll work uh would you say it's a similar use case in gaming as well could be right it could be it's harder but any sort of international cooperation will take the form of effective regulation right and not banning you know i think it's unlikely that any form of international cooperation that you know india sits across the table with the us or uk because both those markets do allow i mean us is still in some ways where india is right now there are a few states that allow in fact i would say um you know, as far as gaming and real money gaming goes, and as far as regulations goes and the laws go, India is actually a little bit ahead of the U.S. Um, really? Definitely. Um, primarily because of some of the, you know, constitutional judgments we have in place. Right. right. But uh, but I, I think that kind of cooperation is possible. Mm-hmm. But it would take the form of effective regulation. And I think that that cooperation would be very helpful. Like, we don't have to walk the same walk that the UK has walked for the last 20 years. Right. Right. right? I mean, do you look at UK today and what regulation in UK looks like uh-huh. is very, very different from what it looked like 10 years ago. Really? You know, it's really about operators genuinely trying to make people aware that they might be going overboard. Right. right? And making them ask questions. So, for instance, we as a company, we 
you know, we invest a lot in AI tools, in data science tools, because even detecting players, the vast majority of players play responsibly. Correct. It's entertainment for them. Oh, instead of watching, you know, a Netflix show or inf- instead of watching TV at night, I'm going to spend an hour playing rummy or playing fantasy sports. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, a tiny sliver of people that, that do tend to go a little overboard. And, and, and detection can be hard because one uh, perhaps typical pattern is that sometimes you really like a game and you sort of behave like an, um, you know, addicted user for like maybe two weeks. Right. But then you sort of wean off it and then you're fine. Right? Exactly. So what you're talking about is is so correct. So, you know, which is why when we our models, what we have realized is that there are players, if you look at the data, who might have a sudden spike. Right. But then very quickly they'll come back. Right. You know, the problem cases are when a, when a user in their play patterns is going steady, then suddenly has a spike and doesn't come, doesn't back. come back. Right. So it's more about looking at at data patterns to see, you know what, this player is is potentially doing something that they don't intend to do that's not going to be good for them. Right, right. And so we take a lot of proactive steps after that. Once we have detected such problem pairs, we actually force them right. to take a survey. We don't allow them to play anymore. Yeah. This survey is designed by a professional psychologist. Based on their survey score, they're actually sent to a counselor. Counselors that we pay for that are trained by professional counselors in the U.K., uh, and then based on the counselor feedback, we actually, in some cases, will exclude these players from playing. In many cases, reduce their limits. I mean, we have a whole program in place to to make sure that players play responsibly because when Bhavin and me started this business, you know, it's very clear to us. We want to entertain people. We're here to entertain them. Yeah. We don't want people mortgaging their homes course, to play on our games. Course, like, that's not what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. What is it that that has contributed uniquely to your success? Is there an element of understanding of human behavior or some some economics principles that you have weaved yeah. in uh, where you built this no, company? No, definitely. I mean, and this again goes back to my economics education. Mm-hmm. I've been solving these rational economic models for all these all these years, which really don't make any sense. Yeah. But every day around us, we see rational behavior, <laughs> right? So. So that that's been a very very fundamental part of our business, uh, but then being very scientific about it, right? And so we describe our operating ethos as a science of gaming. Uh, and so, you know, yes, you really need to understand who your user is, mm-hmm. uh, but that means being very deep in your questioning. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you, in our company, you will never. You'll never see people stop asking why. You know, you can stop asking why at at the very highest level. Why do people do this? Because they're they're greedy, right? But like that's too high level of an explanation. Can we dig a little deeper right. into that? You right. know, can we dig a little deeper? I mean, at the deepest level, level you'd be talking about neuroscience, another topic that's very fascinating for me mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. but so we try to get really deep into what's really driving user behavior at the core because if you understand that then you can build on top of that and we try to be super objective in how we do things like we we love people who are you know willing to be contrarians who are willing to challenge hard-held beliefs you know, it's not like I'm married to this and you, you showed me whatever whatever evidence you can, but this is who I am. Uh, this is what I believe in. 
So it's a very, very scientific way of running the business. Understand your user, um, be analytically rigorous, look at data, ask the tough questions, keep asking questions, be objective, don't be prejudiced. Um, I mean, that, that philosophy has worked remarkably well for us. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, exactly how remarkably, how big is your company? How many users do you have? Um, which are some of your more popular or most popular products? Um, how profitable are you? And what's the scenario with funding and valuation? Uh, a yeah. broad overview. Yeah, I mean, across our games and, you know, I mean, I've talked mainly about Rami, interestingly, mm-hmm. but we have a fantasy sports business, which is doing incredibly well. Rami would account for what percentage of your users and revenue? Uh, that's interesting. So Rami would account for, uh, you know, a smaller percentage of our users, but a significantly larger percentage of our revenues. But you, you can't, uh, you can't specify numbers. Uh, I wouldn't give you a breakup just yet, but I will tell, I can tell you on the revenue front, Rami is certainly a significant majority of our business, okay. well over 50%, over 50% right. of our business, right. whereas it would be definitely under 50%, well under 50% of our users. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's definitely a so the yield is much higher when it comes to uh, that particular game. Yes, per user, yes. What's its story? I mean, you've always had it, and then it had an inflection point and sort of zoomed, or it has had a steady story of growth. I think Rummy has been a pretty steady growth story, mm-hmm. other than you know a year or two in between because of the pandemic and then some some laws coming from certain states so the you know the pandemic kind of resulted in our business shooting up and then some of these laws passed in the southern states kind of resulted in our business kind of taking a little bit of a hit and then with the high court judgments coming out we again saw a big positive lift but outside of that i would say just organically if you were to control for all of these things that we had no control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it's been a pretty steady business. And can you give us a scale of how many people play Rummy? So across our gaming platforms, uh, you know, we've now got almost 100 million users. You know, but that's Rummy and Fantasy. And what I haven't talked to you about at all, which is from a revenue perspective, a small part of our business, but from a user perspective, a pretty large part mm-hmm. is our free-to-play games business. We do have one. Right. So we do have a free-to-play games business, which we call U Games, um, and that developed, you know, titles for the Indian market. But eventually, as I told you, we we concluded that, you know, India's not going to monetize very well on free-to-play. Okay. So our our U Games um, business is now developing content for the global markets. Right. And this is, you know, this is really a very fascinating part about the Indian gaming story because what's starting to happen now, and we're not the only company that's doing it, mm-hmm. that because of our success in the skill gaming space, mm-hmm. you know, we're now able to invest in building, you know, content for global markets. So you're able to build games of a very high quality. like yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we have a very, very professional studio. And now there you do have a little bit of a talent problem. Yes. Because most of that high quality content sits in the West. And so most of that talent sits in the West. It has struck me sometimes, like whenever I hear somebody saying that, look, we are developing games, I'm always like, how can you possibly compete? Right? I mean, the market is awash with products and titles from the biggest studios. I mean, they have insane budgets, crazy uh, creative talent, you know, and and to aspire to, um, uh, you know, compete with. And and it's no accident that 
so many of the big games do come from the same studios right like very rarely are there breakout stories and when there are then they end up getting acquired by the same studios right so what's the what's the perspective on that can you really compete you know the content business is like the venture business mm-hmm. you have to be patient so one of the reasons a lot of developers new developers in the content business struggle is because of time horizons and budget so when we went into the into the free to play you know casual content gaming space we were very clear that we have to be ready for our first nine games to fail uh. which means you have to have significant budget it's not there's no trust me other than having the right kind of talent yeah. and having the patience to run through a bunch of failures to eventually arrive at that big success there is no silver bullet that is the magic formula right um and so that's what we're doing we our our success in rummy and fantasy has allowed us to invest in the content creation business and on the talent perspective which has been a bigger challenge um what we have done is we actually went out and hired a bunch of people uh very talented people from some of the top gaming studios that you are talking about mm-hmm. and we are basically having these people train the raw talent in india there is enough raw talent in india it just needs to be polished you know and so that's that's what we're doing right now and and the third thing that comes to a big advantage for us is that and this kind of goes back to the science of gaming part which is that we over the many years have invested heavily in technology in ai in data science to personalize solutions to personalize experiences for users that's been one of the most significant parts of our investment so everything we learn about our users i talked to you about being objective looking deep at the end of the day what do you learn you learn that your user base is not homogenous is not monolithic is very heterogeneous and this type of user likes these kind of things like these kind of games likes these kind of experiences like these kind of promotions or offers and another type likes something else some of our users love tournaments Mm-hmm. some of our users don't mm-hmm. you know some of our users love interesting meta games that we put on top of the core game mm-hmm. some of our users don't care for that they just want to play the regular game right the key is figuring out which user wants what and then personalizing that experience for them for which you need technology and you need ai right. now these solutions that we have built we can automatically take on the technology front right. we in india are pretty much at par with you know when it comes to the in the gaming world at least with the rest of the world our vision with our free- including aiml uh, talent and execution absolutely okay absolutely 100% like okay. i think that's an area see we might be lacking in in the quantity of talent we have mm-hmm. in the aiml space mm-hmm. but we're definitely not lacking in the quality of talent we have um how many people are you in india um, and and do you have operations elsewhere for about 700 people in india mm-hmm. and that's across engineering design everybody yeah okay. um and uh, we have an office we have a small office in delhi okay. but mostly you know on the regulatory side uh but our biggest bigger offices are in mumbai and bangalore mm-hmm. um we do have some international presence i you know so we one of the interesting things that happened is over time as we invested more and more in technology um we invested very heavily in personalization technology so at some point about 2 3 years ago as we were looking at the market and most of them international businesses 
to see what kind of personalization technology exists in the market, we were quite unimpressed, actually. There are good solutions, but they're terribly expensive. Why is personalization important in gaming? Well, as I said, like, you know, it's a very, very different kind of users in the system. So the more data I have about your play patterns, the more I know what kind of games you're looking for, um, what kind of sub-games you're looking for. If you're playing for money, like what kind of stakes you're looking to play for. Do you like tournaments? Do you prefer bonuses? Do you like to play leaderboards? So once you capture all of that information, then you tailor the experience to sort of exactly. So when you come into when you come into a product on day one, right, you might see have the same experience as I do, right. But by day two and day three, you will start to see a different experience because the system, the the AI inside, is learning about what you like and what you don't like, and accordingly tailoring. Right. the experience to you. What's the medium time spent uh, by your active users on, on your Rummy product, Rummy Circle? The median time spent, you know, as I said, is probably going to be about an hour a day, 30 minutes to an hour. Wow. Uh, it's not super high. It's the time that you would allocate to, um, you know, watching a TV show at night. Wow. I mean, look, in a, in our world, you know, those are those are very high numbers. I mean, well, gaming is, you know, it's a very immersive form of entertainment. Right. You know, right, it's right. it's very immersive. Like yeah. it's like if you ask Netflix, you know, what's the average time for a user spent again, very immersive. And the interesting thing about gaming is it's actually more immersive than something like Netflix could be because it's not passive consumption. It's yeah. active. I'm actually competing with you. Yes. You yes, know, yes. So it's definitely in terms of usage, yeah. I mean, usage statistics in gaming. This is not just for our games. Right. Um, for most games wide. in the market, would be would be significantly higher than you would see for other media consumption. Right. right. And do people love knowing that um, they're playing against another human as opposed to a machine? It's interesting you ask that question, right? One of our earliest challenges back, you know, I'd, I'd have to rewind about 10, 10 years, maybe even six, seven years, right was a lot of people asking us this question. Right. Am I playing against a real player? Right. Right. You know, or am I playing against a machine? Because they wanted to play against real players. Yes. Um, and to some extent, that kind of perception still sits in some parts. And unfortunately, even in some, you know, government circles right. that are there real players here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, from the regulatory point of view, we tell the government, like, we record GPS coordinates of every single user that comes on our site. So, you know... But leave aside the regulation, because this is something I think about. So I play chess on, you know, chess.com. And I always, th- I mean, it's just as a thought experiment, I always think there was no way for me to know, right? <laughs> <laughs> if this is, because, you know, machines can be programmed exactly like, like the same mistakes that humans tend to make, a machine can be programmed to make that. And because, you know, the chess.com wouldn't work unless I get a player match the moment I log on, right? That's right. And and you f- probably have the same issues as well. You need X many players. You need players. If that, you know, you, if it's a two-player game, you need two players. One player can't do it, you know, by themselves. Yeah. So it would be possible for gaming companies to do that, and you wouldn't know. It is. I mean, technically, you're right. Uh, but... It's just so unnecessary in the world that we operate in. There is enough and more players. Exactly. Like, it is just, it is not something that anybody needs to do. I mean, you've got, like, even in just the skill gaming space, Mm -hmm. you've now got over 200 million users, if I count, if I'm looking at fantasy. You're talking about fantasy sports alone today has over 100 million users, right? It's such 
a large space. Yeah. And given the fact that an operator does not benefit at all. See, at the end of the day, I'm just collecting a commission. Yeah. You play with player X. You're a platform. You know, we're a platform. Yeah. Yeah. There's no benefit for us in putting putting a, putting a anybody out, any, any machine out there. Right. right. Like it would be, it just economically or in any sense doesn't doesn't make any you know right wouldn't make right. sense for an operator to actually do that yeah, yeah. so uh, vikram tell us about the rise of uh, real money gaming in india when did it start how suddenly how has it gotten so big and and how big is it really like what would you say the size of it is today uh well i would say today the skill gaming industry, the real money gaming industry, which is all games of skill, uh-huh. is probably upwards of a billion and a half. In earnings? In in revenues. Oh. In revenues. So that is your commission? That is our commission. Right. That is right, correct. Right, right. Uh, so oh. that's a billion and a half. So which means, I mean, is there a figure for what is the total amount of money that people are making, like your users are making? So... You, I mean, you could call it turnover or you could call it entry fees. The reason those numbers are very misleading mm-hmm. is because the money gets used again and again. Right. Right? Yeah. So if you deposit 100 rupees to play, right. you could end up playing games worth 1,000 rupees with that 100 rupees. Right. right. Right? So you deposit 100 rupees. Let's say you played a 50 rupee game mm-hmm. and you lost it. Mm-hmm. Now you're left with 50 rupees. Now you play a 50 rupee game and you won it. Mm-hmm. So now let's say you have You're back 100 rupees, rupees. Yeah. right? Yeah. Now you play another 50 rupee game and you won it. Now you have 150 rupees. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could, and then you lose and then you win. And so this win-loss cycles mean that 100 rupees, what we call churn, right. can churn into 300 rupees, 400 rupees, 500 rupees. Right. So from the point of view of looking at industry size, it's kind of misleading to look at, right. like, you know, how much are people playing for? Right. So the number that matters, I suppose, is... Over a year, how much money your users are pulling out of the ecosystem? Right, that would be that would be pretty large. I mean, you know, I, I I'm not sure if I can give you a number. I don't know if I have a number offhand actually. Right. But is it in the hundreds of crores or in the thousands of crores? I mean, it's going to be a, a significant number. Right. It's going to be a pretty large number. I think right. Right. you know the reason but users enjoy yeah. this activity. Yeah is because there is a potential to win. And the real potential to win is realized when you're actually able to withdraw and see that money in your bank account. Correct. You know, so, um, and so there's definitely significant withdrawals that that happen from the system. Yeah. So basically, real money gaming in some ways is, it's like two sources of dopamine. Like there is the enjoyment of the game itself. Yes. And there is the enjoyment of, you know, earning money out that's, of it. That's exactly right. So right. what what you call enjoyment of the game itself, it's, it's basically the ups and downs, uh, you know. Right. And I played this game really well and I cracked it. Yeah. And the next game, it's like, oh, damn, I made that mistake. I can do that better, right? right. So, which is true for any sport. So that part of the dopamine effect, even if you're playing tennis. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of dopamine that's firing right. because, you know, you played a really awesome shot and then the next shot, you, you you know, you played badly and you go through those ups and downs. But yes, the other part of the dopamine is like actually, actually seeing that materialize in some way in terms of I got something out of the system, which goes back to what I said in the beginning. Me and Bhavin, our view was that part is going to be very, very important as far as Indians 
consuming gaming entertainment goes mm-hmm. and which is why today 70% of online gaming revenues in india or more are skill gaming right 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 so so you can't really make much money by serving free games and making trying to make money out of advertising yeah it's been tried it's you know so why are you doing that now oh, because you're developing it for overseas markets yes but even for the overseas market our model is uh, in app purchases ah okay yeah Not i mean even if you look at overseas market where you know games outside of the skill gaming space non real money games have done well i would say almost 75 to 80% of the monetization is through uh, in app purchases mm. i mean all the biggies that you you can yes. look at you know from candy crush to clash of clans to pubg i mean the vast majority of their revenues comes from in app purchases yeah. Yeah. um so that's that's the model as far as our global ambitions okay. are concerned i want to come back to the uh, the issue of regulation and where the thinking around this stands in india today um what are really the top concerns um, around real money gaming i mean i would say probably the the single biggest uh issue that the industry is grappling with right now is around gst mm-hmm. and we're in a very interesting dual world right now mm-hmm. you know on the one hand we have the government working uh, very constructively um, very positively with the industry on coming up with some sort of regulation um that you know for one kind of makes clear to everybody what's the distinction between skill and chance what are games of skill what are games of chance you know which games qualify as games of skill and then also putting in you know what is necessary the right amount of consumer protection in place so i think there's there's definite positive constructive move towards that from the government um and the other part of it is gst where i think we're what i think we're going through the same journey that that the uk went through about 20 years ago you know because the authorities are trying to figure out what should we tax yeah and here like you know i kind of go back to the point that we were discussing right. the, the real debate is between whether we should tax the total pool of you know money yeah uh, or should we tax um the revenues themselves which is our commission yeah. our platform fee yeah yeah um i think anecdotally like recently i think there has been a lot of discussion among tax folks in delhi and and i think we ran a few stories about it as well about like anecdotally you hear people making a lot of money and there is a sense that and i'm sure those are edge cases but there is a sense that wait if people are making all this money like are they paying taxes on it are these typically people who are not filing income tax returns you know so i think there is some discomfiture around the idea that okay like the scene we don't understand it well and maybe we need to look into right, it more right so those are two separate issues right um one is uh one is we as operators what is the gst we pay and on what valuation do we pay gst do we right. pay it on the pool of you know the pool of money or the entry fees so the turnover collected or do we pay it on our commission uh-huh. and to us if there is a 100 rupee pool that's created in any contest mm-hmm. our revenue and and the commission varies from game to game and operator to operator and within game even like you know it's different for different stakes but on average let's say 10% you know 10% is what is our revenue so if there's a 100 rupee pool we make 10 rupees in revenue mm-hmm. and today we are paying 18% gst on this 10 rupees which is 1 rupee 80 paisa roughly 
right? And if you were to apply this GST on the hundred rupee pool, mm-hmm. even at eighteen percent, our GST burden would be eighteen rupees, whereas our revenue is only ten rupees, right? right? So the, the, this, I mean, I'm just giving you a very simple analysis yeah, of what yeah, we are yeah. trying to tell the government that yeah. we're happy to pay more taxes, right. eighteen to twenty-eight. It, it'll slow down the industry, but I think we can absorb it. But if you were to tax the entry fee pool, right, would be crippled. The other point that you're making is about players who are winning, yeah. paying taxes on their winnings. Yeah. Um, where the operator requirement is very simple. So what we do right. is that any time any player, and this is you're required to do by law, mm-hmm. any time any player wins more than ten thousand rupees in any single contest, we deduct, I think, roughly thirty-one percent in TDS. So the player gets, you know, the hundred, whatever, 10,000 minus that 31%. So, oh. And then we send that money to the tax department on behalf of this player. So that means they have to give you their, their PAN, PAN number. number. Absolutely. Oh. Yes. To participate in any game? If they win more than 10,000. So if you ah. win more than 10,000, now for you to access those winnings, winnings. you have, you to, have to give us your PAN number. We will deduct taxes on your behalf and, and you know, deduct taxes and pay it on your behalf to the oh. government. That's a requirement in law, which all operators follow. I see. But, you know, so again, like this is something that, that that's probably not yet reported in the media mm-hmm. that operators are already doing this. Mm-hmm. But then players have their own obligation to pay taxes sure, after that. Sure, sure, sure. This yeah. is just the, re- the requirement on, on behalf of the operators. Right, right. But you deduct 31% TDS. Yes. Because you assume the the highest. That's the possible. law. Like, so uh, there's, there's a special section uh, in the Income Tax Act about prize winnings from competitions and uh, which requires us if there's any prize over 10,000 rupees we have to deduct 31 point something. Which is basically the highest income tax slab. But then I suppose it's up to the user to you know yes. claim it back exactly. by filing a return. Depending on their income their or actual, whatever. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Very interesting. Now what about uh, some states of course have banned games indiscriminately whether chance or skill. Right. Um are you trying to persuade those governments? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I think uh, I think our conversations with particularly the Tamil Nadu government, mm. uh, where we have gone to them and told them about all the things that we are doing as an industry and some of us as operators to ensure that players play responsibly. And our request to them is that, you know, the right thing is to mandate that these kind of consumer protections are something that every operator has to build into their systems. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a much better way to go than banning because banning at the end of the day does not really, is never going to stop foreign operators from taking customers yeah. in your states. You know, I'm now seeing sides of unspecified provenance where you can bet on anything like temperature today i know okay <laughs> i mean and this is why we need regu- see the moment you have regulation the right. reason you see a lot of these sites right, right. now right. is because there is no regulatory clarity right and which is why even on the government side if you look at law enforcement they don't know how to act because it's not clear to them what is a game of skill and what is a game of chance oh, okay. so unless some regulator steps in and says these games are allowed yeah. or these are the set of conditions that a game needs to satisfy right. for it to qualify as a game of skill, right. then it becomes very hard for these foreign operators to get through through loopholes. But but betting on outcomes like these, it could be argued, is partly also a game of skill, right? 
I need some understanding of temperature and weather patterns to be able to bet on what's the, the temperature going to be three it days. Could from be. Now. It could very well be. And I think I think that is why a regulator coming and saying, "Hey, any game that you have must pass these ten criteria." Right. 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 Like, I mean, if you were to run certain simulations, uh, you create skilled players, unskilled players in your system. You show us that skilled players beat unskilled players ninety nine percent of the time. Whatever. There could be a bunch of tests. Mm-hmm. And we have actually proposed a bunch of these tests to the government mm-hmm. uh, that they could use to kind of say, okay, these are games of skill and games of chance. Just make it more objective, right? right? So that operators can figure out what is it that's allowed and what is it that's not allowed. And mind you, if I as a customer can play, and this is true in every part of the world, mm-hmm. if I as a customer can play with a domestic operator, I am always prefer to do that than playing with a foreign operator. You know, because this is an operator within within my geographic domain, um, and so I think encouraging the domestic industry will will eventually result in us having a cleaner domestic industry, lesser foreign operators inside, more tax revenues, all of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So the the money uh, that is being channeled through foreign operators, that's basically like no taxes being paid. It's a, it's a black hole. No, that's right. that's right. Right. That's right, and, and I think the government realized. To, to be to be fair to them, I think there's a realization of that, uh-huh. and I think they want to stop that. Which is why I said, like, I think on that front, the government's been very, very constructive. Right. Well, what is the future of real money gaming? Do you think it's going to get very, very big as AR and VR uh, based games uh, come through? Uh, are these going to become not so attractive? Is the you know the the sensory stimulation uh, caused by gaming? It's about to I think uh, going to go through the roof. Um, so how do you think about the future? I mean, I think the future for gaming itself is very very bright. I think you bring up some very interesting points about AR VR. Um, I can talk about gaming as a whole. I think real money gaming obviously has long runway ahead of it, mm-hmm. but you know, and I, I, I always tell this story to people. Like when we back in 2010, we would point to investors and say, you know, look at the U.S., look at Europe, and if you look at the trend lines and you see where internet is for them today and where internet is going to be for us, you know, India is going to be a billion dollar market by 2020. This was in 2010. Nobody would believe us. And today, we're you know, the overall gaming market is over a two billion dollar market. Now, if you again look at the trends. In, in the West or even in China for that matter, and you kind of plot out where gaming could end up in 2030, yeah. it's hard to yeah. not reach a number like 20 to 30 billion, somewhere in that range. I agree. I mean, I looked at the numbers today and and it was, you know, I read some figures saying that it's about, you know, the number that you mentioned, 2 billion to 3 billion. And it struck me as a really small number. It, it has a long way to go. Right. It has a long way to go. And I think there's going to be a lot of innovation along the way. Right. I think even in the real money gaming space, today you're seeing predominantly rummy and fantasy, a little bit of poker. Um, But I think there's going to be a lot of content innovation that starts happening in the real money gaming space, for which you need regulatory clarity. You know, with rummy and fantasy, it's easy because the Supreme Court has said they are games of skill, both of those games. And poker also, there's multiple high courts now that have said it's a game of skill. But we don't have that kind of if I was to come up with a new game of skill, right? Right. I sit down in my studio, my creative team sits down and is and is trying to figure out a new game of skill. Right. What are the parameters by which they eventually conclude this is a game of skill that wouldn't run afoul of the law? Right. 
Right. That's the challenge that we need to solve to really kind of give an impetus to the gaming industry in India. Right. So why don't you then go to go to the Supreme Court, say, for instance, against um, the state of Tamil Nadu and argue that, hey, this ban actually is you know unconstitutional? Well, we did in the high court and we won. I so the see. high court of Tamil Nadu did strike down. Uh, the law that Tamil Nadu passed in 2020 is unconstitutional. Okay. And, and things are the other way around right now, which is Tamil Nadu has actually Gone appealed to the Supreme to Court. The Supreme court. Okay. Uh, you know, we're very, we're very confident of our prospects in the Supreme Court because we've had the Tamil Nadu High Court say that bans on games of skill are unconstitutional. We've had the Karnataka High Court say that bans on games of skill are unconstitutional. We've had the Kerala High Court say, you know, pretty much something along similar lines. Right. Um, and so we've had three high courts now rule in favor of the industry. This is all uh, late 2021 and early 2022. So ultimately, this question is going to be settled by a Supreme Court verdict some point in the future. That is correct. I mean, but obviously, you have to remember that the verdicts that came from the high courts right. are based on previous Supreme Court of precedents. Course, of course, of course. You know, so uh, we don't see any reason why the Supreme Court right. would change what is what is really now a 75-year-old precedent. But why do you think Rummy has a bad name? Is it because of observed patterns online that are damaging or is it because from the real world rummy used to be associated with a lot of like local betting syndicates and you know stuff like that yeah because uh, i remember when we were growing up in kerala this was one of the things like you know rummy games with money would be busted every now and then by cops you know there'd be like a tiny raid and in, in, you know uh, so some i think festival. i think a part of it is that right i mean this is also true in some of the other states Unfortunately, um, you know, and one of the things we saw that was very interesting uh, is that because Rummy is a game of skill and, you, you know, you were legally allowed to play Rummy for real money, what I can tell you, you know, is that in many states, under the guise of Rummy, people will be doing other things. Mm. You know, and this was common knowledge for law enforcement. I see. So it really became an enforcement problem. I'm sitting down and playing teen patti for real money. Right. You know, you as a cop show up. I'm going to say I was playing Rummy. Right. I just, you know, with cards and money. Like, you know, it's right. the same thing. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a number of layers to that problem. Mm. Like, it's not that, that straightforward. Right, 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 right. It's been a real delight, uh, Vikram, chatting with you. All the best, and I look forward to seeing. I look forward to seeing what you do uh, for your global games play. Thank you. Pleasure. That's it from me for this episode. You've been listening to the sketch. This episode was edited by Manjul Paul, Mok Sharma as the producer of this show, and Sanju V Abraham is our sound engineer. You can email us with your thoughts on the sketch at livemint.com. For more updates on this podcast, follow HT Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn. To listen to more such Mint podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. Goodbye and thanks for listening. This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast. 